Well, my wife Julie and I are at the stage with our nine-month-old son, Michael, where our heads are constantly on a swivel because this little guy is on the move. Anyone who's a parent in here knows, knows what I'm talking about, where we can't even set him down to wash our hands without him booking it to the dog's water bowl to try to splash around in it, or to hightail it to, to the nearest electrical socket where his hand's just reaching up for it. And he's also at that age where he's, he's starting to pull himself up into a standing position. And so we have the added element of him walking over to something to then reach up and pull it down on top of himself. So as I was watching him earlier this week, I noticed that, that sometimes something catches his eye and he beelines straight for it. But other times, other times he'll start to march towards something and then he'll stop suddenly, pivot. Something else catches his eye and he starts going in that direction. And it hit me that the direction in which he's going is dictated by a certain desire that he has. That whatever he's seeking is, is motivating and directing his steps, so to speak. And I, I bring this up because that same kind of thing is happening to the church at Colossae, which prompted the Apostle Paul to write the book of Colossians. It's his letter to them. See, the Christians there were being pressured and persuaded by false teachers to, to chase and pursue a particular kind of thing. And and to live a particular kind of way that was contrary to what Paul had taught them earlier. So, so to prevent them from, from taking too many steps towards something that, that might hurt them or, or pivoting in the wrong direction, Paul writes this letter to the Colossians to give them a picture of Jesus as Lord over all things. Because the fact of the matter is, everybody lives under the lordship of something. Or as the great prophet Bob Dylan once sang, you're going to have to serve somebody. The question then becomes, what are you serving? What are you submitting to as Lord of, over your life? What are you living under? So in this new series that we are starting today, we're, we're going to be walking through the book of Colossians, and we're going to be seeing how this, this letter by Paul invites us to see ourselves as those who live under the grace and the lordship of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And today, I want us to focus specifically on Jesus' lordship over our everyday all of our doings, wherever we're going, how he has set us free to live and to move in our lives in a particular kind of way. Because like my son, all of us are motivated to, to pursue, to chase after something. And if we look closely, we can see that what's really motivating us, what's really guiding our steps as we go throughout the day, informing us how we should live, it's, it's a desire for control. Like we want to control our hunger pangs in the middle of the night, so we move towards the refrigerator. Or we want to, um, we're motivated to lose another five pounds and get in shape to control our health or our image, and so we, we purchase a gym membership, even though we only know we're going to go there two times maximum, one to set up the account and the other one to close it. <laughs> See, our desire for control shapes our movement and determines where it is that we're going. It motivates how we live our lives, or, or you can say it this way, our desire determines our destination. Now, what's fascinating is that oftentimes, whatever it is that we're really trying to control, that which we're seeking after, ends up controlling us. And the more we try to control it, the tighter the grip it has on us. It becomes all we think about, all we care about, all we seek after. So our whole diet and our whole lifestyle become about about obtaining a certain image or getting down to a particular weight. And so it dictates who we spend time with and where. 
what we eat, what we won't eat. Who's, who's going to motivate us to eat well and who's going to persuade us to, to cheat a little bit? Or our free time is consumed with binging the latest TV show on Netflix because after a long day of work, we just want to be entertained. We're done dealing with people. And, and while we're at work, while we're at our jobs, our heads and our hearts are, are, are filled with our own bank accounts and, and planning our next vacation and, and, and our own benefits instead of seeing our job as something that we can be productive in to produce something that benefits others. And so our lives become guided by that next goal, that next episode, that, that next rung on the corporate ladder, whatever it might be, that next step is always dictated by whatever desire is controlling us. But as my son can show you, if you ever reach that goal, if you ever get to that place, it's never going to fully satisfy. It's going to leave you hurt. It's going to leave you tired or it's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you looking for something else to chase. And Paul knows this. Like me watching my son, he's watching the church in Colossae. He doesn't want them to, to start pivoting away from the gospel, and he's trying to keep their fingers away from that proverbial electrical socket. So he tells them that he's been praying for them to, to conduct their lives in a certain kind of way, to have their steps not be guided and controlled by the things of this world, but, but he prays that God would give them the wisdom to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then to, to answer the natural follow-up question of, of what does that mean? What does it look like to, to live in such a way that proves that I belong to God? What, what do I need to do to walk like that? To answer that question, Paul gives us two things to do. He says we need to do the kinds of work that bear fruit. Works that, that produce life and, and multiply more and more good things. So essentially what Paul is praying for here is that the lives of followers of Christ might be lived out in such a way that other people might be benefited and, and faith is strengthened either in ourselves or in our churches, in our workplace, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, so that the lives of people around us may be affected for the better. That's the first thing we need to do. The second thing we need to do is simply learn more and more about God. So, so, so let's pause there for a second. Let, let's stop there and ask ourselves how we're doing with that. Based off of what Paul is saying, what, what is your walk like? Because if it's anything like mine, it's, it's not going to take very long for you to, to clearly understand that, that our walks are not so good. All the hours we spend scrolling through our phones or flipping through channels or all the people that we casually walk past in the store without even so much as a glance because we just want to get in, get out, get home, get back to whatever it is we want to do. But what kind of fruit are we bearing there? What kind of faith is being strengthened with that? Or, or how about when we, when we do something good, or at least on the outside it seems good, but we have selfish motives in it? Like if we give very loudly and publicly a whole bunch of money to a, to a nonprofit or to a, to a donation place. But we give there and, and do it loudly so that other people might see just how much stuff we have to give, how much extra we have, how well off we are. Yeah, that work may look good on the outside, but, but on the inside, it's rotten to the core. 
And every week we, we gather here to, to listen to the promises of God and have the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ proclaimed to us. And we hear all about the, the great love of God that he has for us and how it should be shared with other people. But, but oftentimes it seems like seems like that message, whatever we learned, is left within the doors here as we walk out on Sunday morning. And who has the time during the week between work and planning your next vacation and five extracurriculars per kid that you have and keeping up with the Kardashians or whatever's going on with the monkeypox? Who has time between all of that, whatever's going on, to study the Bible or pray? Who has time to do that? See, in our desire for control with how we spend our time, where we spend our time, what we invest in, it takes control of us. It dictates our time, our energy, our attention, and it keeps us from walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, if this is the only thing that Paul talks about in Colossians, if this idea is, is where he stops in writing his letter, that's bad news bears for us. We're in big trouble because our desires and pursuits are worthless. They lead to nothing but sadness, emptiness, exhaustion. But that's not what Paul leaves us with. He has so much more to say. In fact, a little bit before this, Paul talks about how thankful he is that the gospel, the word of truth has planted itself in the hearts and minds of the believers in Colossae and how that gospel message is working through them. And, and what is this gospel? It's the good news that worthiness isn't a posture or pursuit for us to obtain. But worthiness is a person. See, where our pursuits are motivated by selfish desires, Jesus desires to pursue us. And where our steps are dictated by what the world tells us we should love, Jesus steps into a world that doesn't even love him so that it might be reconciled back to him. And all of his works are good. He heals the sick, he gives sight to the blind, he raises people from the dead. He spends time with the outcasts and the marginalized and he cares for the needy. And he walks on the very earth he created to dwell with the people he created, to be with his people. And at the end of his time here on earth, though he was rejected and afflicted, he walked in our place. He took our steps up that hill to Calvary and he bore our cross and our guilt upon his back. And as he, as he hung up there on that tree, he declared to the world and revealed to the world about who the God is that we serve and what he's like. That we have a God who loves us to death. A God who sacrifices his own son so that so that we might be called his children. And as Jesus rises up out of that grave, he shows us that he is worthy to conquer death and the lordship that the world has over us. That though we give the world and the things of this world control over our lives, the ultimate lordship, the ultimate authority belongs to Jesus. And his lordship is not marked by control like the world's, but his lordship is marked by service his service to us. And the good works of God don't end there. He continues to work even now through us and in us and things like the Lord's Supper, which we partake in regularly here, and baptism, which we got to celebrate just a few moments ago. 
Because in the Lord's Supper, we're delivered the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus by receiving his body and blood in, under, and with the bread and the wine. And in baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit who promises to create and work faith in us. And we're united with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. We're joined together with him, linked together with him. We're bonded together with him in his worthiness. We are worthy in him because of him and him alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news that reached the Christians in Colossae, and that's the good news that we carry with us today as Christians at St. Mark Houston. The good news that Paul shares with us in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christ has set us free from the things of this world that control us, the things that demand our hearts and our attentions and our service. And he invites us to submit instead to his lordship. And unlike the lordship of the the things of the earth that leave us exhausted and empty and broken and, and are marked by control over us, the lordship of Jesus is marked by his service to us. And we're filled with his blessings and his good gifts. Things that we have even now, things that are available to us now, that the Holy Spirit leads us to receive now. We get Jesus' grace now. We have his forgiveness now. We have his worthiness right now. And we get to rest now, knowing that we don't need to seek control over our own lives because we get to surrender to the Lord and giver of life. That's the news that's been delivered to us, that we have been delivered ourselves. The news that the Lord of the universe overcame our kingdom so that we can live freely in his. That's good news. That we don't have to earn our own forgiveness, that we don't have to work to receive God's grace. It's given to us freely. We are but passive recipients of it. Our worthiness has nothing to do with our pursuits or our posture and everything to do with the person of Jesus Christ, who we are united to through no action or merit of our own. But as fantastic as this news is, what do we do with it? Because if that's all there is to it, it makes no sense that Paul Paul would tell us to live in a manner worthy of Christ after knowing that we're worthy in him. So knowing that we're forgiven now, knowing that we have Christ's worthiness now, how do we now live that out? Because I've been going to church for a very long time and those same pressures and persuasions for control continue to have their grip on me. They continue to plague me. I still desire things I know I shouldn't. And these desires continue to take control of my life, informing me on where to go and what to do and how to spend my time. And I know I'm worthy in him, but, but how do I now live worthy of him? How do I let Jesus determine my destination instead of the things of this earth? Well, if there's anything my son has taught me, it's, it's that a walk like this starts by stopping, by no longer moving toward whatever it is we're pursuing or chasing after. It starts with no motion at all. It starts by laying down. 
laying down our hearts and our minds to free us up to slow down, to stop focusing so much on things that we feel like need to get done right now and spend five seconds closing our eyes and remembering and reminding ourselves of the good news that we carry with us, the good news that's ours in Jesus Christ, the news that he is worthy and his Holy Spirit continues to work in and through us Because the more we slow down and remind ourselves of the faith that's ours because of the good works of Jesus Christ, the more the Holy Spirit then does good work in us by increasing our faith and increasing our knowledge of who Jesus is. And then the Holy Spirit does good work through us because then all of our works start from a place of faith. And when we take some time out of our worldly pursuits, we find time to sit with him and sit with his word, which he's given to us so that we might have more and more knowledge of God and how Jesus reveals to us more and more who the Father's like. And we look for where the Holy Spirit is moving around us to share the love of Jesus. So maybe next time you're watching Is It Cake on TV, you you think about that person in your life who, who really needs some cake right about now. Maybe as you're scrolling through, through three different news outlets trying to get all the information on the tragedies around the world and in our country and even in our state, maybe take some time to flip through the pages of the Bible. Maybe take some time to pray to God for his justice to be done, for his peace. And maybe while you're at work and your, your aunt's asking you for prayer because she's going in for an MRI because she might have cancer, Maybe instead of doing the quick and easy thing of just sending back a text that says praying with the the hands praying emoji and calling that good, maybe you take a second and actually pray. And then you take another second on your walk to your car at the end of the day and you check in on her. Or maybe you do something as simple as as acknowledging the greeter at HEB, who you know gets ignored by hundreds of people every day. Smile at them. Thank them. Wish them a good day. Imagine what kind of effect simple gestures like that can have, especially as the Holy Spirit works through them. See, a worthy walk isn't about us or the walks themselves. It's about walking with the one who is worthy. So take a lesson from a nine-month-old. Start by not moving at all. Lay down and rest in the promise that we have been rescued by Jesus. Sit up and open his word. Spend time with him in prayer. Learn more about who he is and who he says that we are. And then look up at our resurrected savior who's alive and moving and reach your hands up to him. Put your hands in his and let him help you stand up. Let his lordship determine and guide where it is you're stepping and strengthen you to hold you up. Join him in the work that he's already doing. It's not up to you, it's his work. Walk in a manner worthy of him because you are worthy in him. So walk with him today. Let's pray. Well, gracious God, we we thank and praise you for all that you've done.
all that you do for us, all that you say that we are, all that you make us, even though we are not deserving. That when we know we've screwed up, that we're messed up, that we're broken, you call us redeemed and forgiven. That when the world looks at us and says, you're unworthy, that you call us worthy. And that we're, we're pressured and persuaded to chase the things of this world. We thank you that your son Jesus and his work on the cross has set us free from that control. To desire the things that you desire, to live the kind of life that you want us to live. Help us, God, to live that kind of life. Help us to slow down. Help us to lay down in your promises. Give us rest that we may have open eyes and fresh minds to to see how you're working around us, to see how you're working in us, to hear what you would say to us. And then Jesus, pick us up in your strength. We can't pick ourselves up. Guide us in the direction you want us to go. And remind us that our worthiness is not our own pursuit. Our worthiness is found in you, who alone is worthy. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our worthy Savior, the Lamb of God. Amen.